Hi, this is Jason. Welcome to this podcast of Bethesda Worship Center's Adult Bible Study. Let's join Pastor Pat Dale in his series on living above the fray. All right. Well, thanks again for everyone coming out. And uh, how about a little quick review from last week? This is our third week. We're going to be talking about living above the fray. And uh, can't go back the last two weeks, but let me let me just hit last week a uh, quick review for you. We started in uh, Psalms 56, uh, verse 1 through 4, and I'm just going to read it to you real quick, uh, just in passing. Be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up. He, he is fighting me daily and oppressing me. My enemies would swallow me up for... They that be many that fight against me, O Most High. What am I afraid of? I will trust in Thee. In God I will praise His Word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do to me. Last week, um, we began to talk about the subject of containment. Uh, for those of you who weren't here, um, I gave the scenario of a SWAT team. And uh, if an escaped convent went into a house... The police officers would call in a SWAT team. They would surround the house. And the reason they surround a house is for several reasons. First is to keep the escaped convict from escaping. And secondly is to contain the threat within the house so he can't go out and and, uh, do damage to the rest of the community. So that's one of the purposes of a SWAT team surrounding a house. We also likened it unto uh, the Korean War in 1950 to 1953. There was... uh, the North wanted to be uh, communist, and the South wanted to be capitalist. So they they decided they're going to fight on the 38th parallel, and that is a boundary in which, from this point north, we're going to allow you to be communist. From this point south, we're going to be the capitalist. And and there were several countries involved in that conflict, but it is a place, it is a boundary. And we started talking about containment. It it will really change your mind. It will really change your life. One of the other examples I gave was I had a couple of tackle boxes. I had more than this. I took the other ones back to the house. But in, in my tackle boxes, I had baits in all the different places. And I had several of them here. And if you're a big fisherman, you know that when you have a bunch of treble hooks that you need to keep them separated. You need to keep things in their place. So what we did is we, we took all these fishing lures and we put them in one box and we began to shake them up. And at the end of that shaking, we pulled out one big clump of fishing lures. And there was just oodles of hooks everywhere. And I held them in my hand and, and I explained, this is what happens when you don't use containment in your life. Everything in your life has a space. And what happens if we don't keep things in their place, they bleed over to other areas in our life. And uh, it's very important that you keep a place for everything in your life. We're talking about living above the fray. So, um, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 27, and I'm still recapping, I'm kind of going quick here. But it actually says, don't even give place to the devil. There's a lot of people that have places in their life where they, they think it's okay to act this way as long as I'm at this location, as long as I'm with these people. And they have a place for living not so godly. The Bible says don't even give place to the devil. But everything in your life has a place. We talked about um, isolating things in our lives and leaving them there. One of the easy examples is when uh, you bring work home and you've had a 
a rough day all day with your coworkers and your boss and you come home and you take it out on the wife and the kids or you take it out on the husband and the kids. You didn't leave work in its place and it bled over and now it's affecting your home life. And the same thing is true if you're having conflict with one friend. A lot of times you'll carry it into other relationships. Everything has to have its place. And that includes things that love to grow. Your fear and your anxieties and things, they don't even need a place in your life. We talked about there are things in your life that you need to kick out of your life. Remember the prayer in the first week is Psalms 139. Search my heart, O God, see if there's any wicked ways in me. If you prayed that prayer, I'm guaranteeing you, if you did it with serenity, with with real meaning, God began to show you things in your life that don't need to be there. He began to show you things in your life that you're not handling very well. He began to show you weaknesses. And that's what the word wickedness is right there. It means, show me my weaknesses. And He'll show them to you. And it's not fun. But um, we also started talking about, start detecting the I am statements in your life. Um, the I am statements are very powerful because we've done, we've done series on the power of your words. So I'm not going to reiterate all that. But the I am statements, uh, we have to understand that how you feel is not what you are. Don't be saying, I am mad, I am angry, I am hurt, I am afraid. You're not that. You feel that. There's a big difference. Because when you begin to pronounce that over your life, I am mad, I am fearful, it has a lasting effect. Not just in in the psychological realm, but in the spiritual realm. The Bible says that we can decree a thing. that, That life and death are in the power of the tongue. So we talked about watching the I am statements. And then, we're almost done with the re- review here, the process in which God reveals things to us. Um, we went to the Bible verse that talks about precept upon precept, line upon line. We talked about going from milk to the meat. And God reveals things to us, because that's how we're hardwired, I reckon, things progressively, systematically. Um, I got up on the piano and said, if you ever read a Bible verse, you take it in, you... you, you pretty much understand it. It's like hitting one note. And then you you flip over and you find another verse that's a little bit relatable to that other verse. And you say, hey, this makes sense to this, and this substantiates this, and those two come together. And the word line upon line in that Bible verse talks about bringing several verses together as in one chord on a piano. So I went up there and played a C chord. I don't know what I'm doing. But um, you'll see the more that you get into the Word of God, that it will substantiate itself. And it becomes more and more illuminated and more and more truthful to you. Rather than just factual and intellectual, it becomes truth to you. And truth goes beyond your intellect. Truth goes into your spirit, man. So we talked about that. So if we learn systematically, we have to put things in order in our life systematically. And that's pretty much where we ended last week. Um, Keep boundaries on things in your life. If you have if you have trouble in your marriage, don't take it out on your kids. If you have trouble with a boss, don't take it out on your pastors. <laughs> Just throw that out there. Keep things contained. Keep things where they are. If if you come home from work, I, I had a job where I literally would get chest pains. I had so much stress upon me. I would do million dollar accounts and it was on me. I was the the officiator and the sign offer and the QA and I was everything. And 
I would go home and think, man, did I miss something on that job? Did I, because there's two or three million dollars in the balance here. And I would freak out and I would go home with that in my mind and I would be ready to tear that house up when I got home. So whatever you have to do to compartmentalize your life, it's very important. It's very important that you do that. If you've got to drive an extra few miles to decompress, do that. But keep things in their place. Because if not, they'll bleed over. And what happens for a lot of Christians, they are that clump of fishing lures all in my hand. There should be 35 of them separate places, but I got them all. And this is, this is a picture of some people's lives. And they say, I want to change, but everything's so entangled. Everything's so wrapped up together. There's no way I can get all this apart. So they don't do anything. So we have to do everything systematically. That's the end of of our recap. And so here we'll start on part three of living above the fray. And uh, we'll get into some Bible verses, but first I want to give you a couple examples. I'm, I'm a very visual guy, and, and you guys know that. Think of the greatest book you ever read. I mean a page-turner. A book that captivated you right away. A, a, a book in which you can't wait till you get a few extra minutes to get back and see how it keeps going, because you're so into that plot. Um, if you're not into books, which I'm a book junkie, I'm a bookworm, I love reading I think it's great because it requires some imagination on your part. I think that's the reason I like it. And I like to paint pictures in my mind. But if you're not into books, maybe you can think about the greatest movie you've ever seen. The movie that's um, a very dramatic movie that sucks you in. You ever been watching a movie and you're just it sucks you in so much it gets you from the get-go. And over that course of that movie, it'll begin to evoke emotions. And there's parts in which you get mad at characters. And there's parts when you feel sad and you feel uh, bad for certain characters. And there's other times you want to defend someone. And some guys, some girls, even at the end, began to cry with the leading lady because it's such a moving and a captivating movie. And, and you're, you feel like you just got drawn into it. You feel like a character. You feel like a part of it. There are things um, that pull you into the dramatic. You feel like you just experienced that movie. Or if, if you were to have a toddler in front of me, and he has a toy, I take that toy from that baby, and he freaks out. The baby freaks out. At that moment, he's in crisis mode, right? He thinks that it's destroying his life because you took his toy. Now, when you ask him five, ten years later, remember that one time I came to your house and I took your toy? He's probably not even going to remember it. But at that moment, that was the crisis of his life. He thought, man, nothing's going to ever be the change. Nothing's ever going to be the same. I'm convinced that you taking my toy at this moment is reason for me to freak out. Now, I just gave you three examples of things that the viewpoint of the toddler at the time, it wasn't life-changing. But in his mind, it was. And if you've been glued to a movie or if you've been stuck in a, to a book and you're moving right along with the characters, at the end of the movie, when the credits starts moving, when the credits start rolling, you get up and you leave the theater or you shut the TV off and it's over. You get done with the last chapter of the book, you put that book down and it's over. 
And but for a for a couple hours or maybe a few weeks, you were sucked into that drama. You were in it. You felt the feelings and 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 sometimes they're good things. Sometimes they change you forever because you get to experience. That's what the arts is supposed to do. It's supposed to pull you in to an experience. And um if the movie's really good and the book's really good, you're gonna recommend it to a friend. Now I know I've been there. I've been in movies where, especially us guys, if you like shoot 'em up movies, man, you're like, let's go. Or maybe you're into Rocky. Or maybe you're into tearjerkers, dramatic ladies. I don't know. Whatever it is that really moves you. And you get sucked into it. Guess what? Your life is just like that. There are things happening in your life that suck you in. At the end of the movie, you shut the TV off and you go about your life. But when the movie is your life, there's no remote control. There's no theater seat to leave. You you can't just throw your popcorn away and get on with your life. And a lot of us tend to do the same thing. We live in a drama that we call our life. And the things that are happening demand our attention. And the concerning thing with me is the vast majority of the drama that we're pulled into is so stinking serious. Have you noticed how serious your life is? I don't know who told us life is so serious. Some people are better at managing those than others. Some people are on pins and needles. They're like a a real fragile building ready to collapse at any given moment. You can see in their eyes like, dude... I'm cool, I'm fine, and you can tell any minute they're going to go off the deep end and they're ready to crack because they got into the fray. They got sucked into the movie that is their life. And and what happens when you get sucked into the fray is you feel all the feelings. You have the highs, you have the lows, and, and you're so into this drama. The bad thing is this drama is your life. The next time the phone rings, the next time you go to the mailbox, the next time you hear from so-and-so, it's a movie and you feel like you're trapped into it. The bad thing is, it's very serious to us. And uh, you can say, well, I don't understand what you're talking about, Pastor Pat. The things that are going on in my life are of the utmost importance to me. Let me tell you something that I'm learning. Far from having it mastered. (laughs) But I'm learning. You will be affected by the things that happen in your life. It's going to affect you. We're not going to tell you to stick your heads in the sand and act like nothing's happening. There's times when you get leveled. There's times when you get sucker punched. There's times when you get hurt. There's times when it don't feel good. You're going to be affected by the things that happen in your life. But it should never control the pursuit of your purpose. Many of us are so invested in the events of our lives that we're living reactively. That's the definition of living reactively. I'm cool unless this happens and then I'm freaking out. I'm cool as long as I have enough money to pay all my bills. If not, I'm losing it. I'm cool as long as my friends are good to me. But, And we go from drama to drama to drama to drama to drama to drama. You get my point. Where does that leave you running on empty? You have no joy. You have no peace. On the board here tonight, I have a list of the fruit of the Spirit. 
And on the other side, I have a list of things in life. Let me just read some of these. For, I don't know if you all can read it in the back. Under life, see if you say any of these sayings. Oh, you're going to set, that just set me off. Or man, that really pushes my buttons. Or man, that bothers me. Man, that enrages me then. That irritates me. That offends me. Or oh no, it's on now. These are phrasing that you use in your life, but yet you want people to be a Christian like you. Now the fruit of the Spirit, the things that we're supposed to be producing, the things that people should walk by and see on our personality, on our character, should be love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. This is what we're supposed to be modeling. This is what we're modeling. And we wonder why the body of Christ isn't growing like it should. (laughs) And that's why we've got to start living above the fray. You've got to get out of this movie you call your life. You've got to quit taking yourself so stinking serious. What would happen if you didn't react the way you always react? Who cares if you get mad? What would happen one time if you said, you know what? I'm not going to yell today. What would happen? Would the, would the axis of the earth change? No, you might bump into a little peace that day. I don't know. Just a thought. We are so proud of ourselves. We love the way we act. We hate the fruit we're producing, but we love, we're comfortable, we're used to our reaction. Um... And my problem is, self-included on certain days, I, I, I'm looking at myself and I'm, am I producing this stuff? Am I producing the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians 5, by the way? And, and we'll maybe flip over there if we get time tonight. Unfortunately, there's no such thing as an emotion-ectomy. I wish God could go inside of me and cut out my emotions because what gets me in the biggest trouble is my emotions. Um trying not to get ahead of myself because I can do that. I did a series one time with you. I think most of you are probably here when we talked about the lordship of emotion. The lordship of emotion. Most people's lords are their emotions. That is where they take the direction. That is where their impulses are. That's where their reactions are, is their emotions. Their emotions define them. And it's the saddest people. The bad news is most of them come to church. That's the bad news. There's a lordship of emotions in many people's lives. And um, for so long, your emotions have called the shots. That when you decide to start living above the fray, don't think your emotions are going to be cool with it. Don't think the enemy is going to be cool with it. Don't think carnality and the old self is going to be cool and roll over and play dead for you. When you say, alright, I'm going to quit living reactively and I'm going to start producing the fruit of the Spirit, it ain't going to be an easy ride. You can say, oh, I tried that for two days. It didn't work, Pastor Pat. Well, you're right. It won't work for a day or two. It has to be a lifestyle. Um, Go to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Did a lot of talking before we got to the Bible here. I told you we're going to do more teaching this time and maybe not quite as much Bible uh, verses, although I could give you tons if you see me at the end of class. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, very famous passage. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Now you guys know this. 
Are you there? We're going to read three verses. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The word in King James says, be careful, means be anxious for nothing. So let me just break this down for you. Let me give you a recap of those three verses. These verses are telling us four things have to happen in your life. The first task is yours. Don't worry about anything. Well, I never thought of that. Don't you wish it was just that easy? But yet, this is what Paul's telling the Philippian church. And, and let, me read, let me read that to you. Be anxious. When it says for nothing, the word there is really specific. It means not even one thing. It's not a generic, it's specific. It's saying, don't you worry about one single thing. Wow. Now, let's get everybody to do task one, and we'll have world peace. Okay? But there's more. Number two is a task for you. It says, pray about it. Don't run your mouth about it. Don't gossip about it. Why don't we try to pray about it? That's a thought. That's tough sometimes. Why pray when I can tell Sister Jones all about it and I get it off my chest? Rather than going to God, let me just talk about the bad stuff that's happening in my life. Number three, God has a part in it. He says, God's peace will guard your heart. Um, that means keep guard and protect your heart, your thoughts and your feelings, and your minds, your perceptions and your intellect through Christ Jesus He doesn't stop there. Verse 8 is a continuing of verse 7. And when it says finally, it actually says, Furthermore, brethren, whatsoever things are good and true and of a good report, think on these things. So, let me tell you what what the Bible is telling us to do. Don't worry. Pray about it. God will guard you and think on good things. This is a recipe for success. So much easier to read than it is to live. But be anxious for nothing. I was telling my wife today, I said, I've got to the point, with God's help, that I can tell when there's a trace of anxiety that hits me. You better learn what the feeling of anxiety is for you. What it is for you may not be for me. Some people, anxiety hits them and they feel it in their gut. Me, I feel it in my chest. Some people maybe get a headache. Some people, I don't know how it manifests in you, but you better learn to identify anxiety and quit being okay with it. The problem is, I've had people uh, losing their mind when they're at level 10 anxiety. And I try to talk them off the ledge. The minute you feel the very low level of anxiety, you better attack it right then because it it, it will hemorrhage all over the place. It will bleed into every area of your life that you're trying to keep separate. All right. Anxiety is um, something that will eat your lunch. But I, I um, I want to talk about unhappiness tonight. 
It's a very broad, broad, broad subject. And I don't know that we can do it justice in the short time that we have together. But I'm going to tell you that unhappiness is probably one of the biggest blockers in your life. Unhappiness, and I know that, again, that's a broad subject. Maybe you're more comfortable with more specific feelings. Like, do you know what the word melancholy means? Melancholy means uh, just a gloomy state of mind. There's times when, you, when you'll feel that. Or maybe apathy, um, an absence of passion. Man, if the people of God would get their passion back, but instead they're like, well, if I make it, I make it. If I don't, I don't. If I pray, I pray. If I read, I read. Whatever. My day will dictate what I do as a child of God. And it's sad because very few people can argue that point. As you feel, you do. And we wonder why we're tired. Why is it that we're worn out? Let me give you an example. During a thunderstorm, and we've had some of the past few uh, weeks, let me ask you a question. During the big thunderstorm, does the sun stop shining? No. How many of you have flown in a big plane and you got up above the clouds? You ever taken off when it's stormy and it's scary and and you get a lot of that wiggling around on that plane? And I don't like heights anyway, so I'm praying to Jesus the whole time I'm on the flight. (laughs) I like angels and God and Holy Spirit. However many it takes, keep this plane up. But once you get through that thunderstorm breaker, you get up there, it's beautiful, man. The sun is shining. And I'm like, this is what's happening the whole time. But on the ground, I was experiencing a storm. Once I broke through it, nothing had changed in the heavenlies, if we can use that word. Nothing had changed in the sky. So this is, to me, what I want you to begin to, to see. If uh, Marcia, come up, stand up for me. I want, you, I want to use you as an example. Now, I'm going to say, we're going to say, Ken is my peace. Uh this is my unhappiness. And I want you to, I want you to, every time you start feeling unhappiness, I want you to visualize it as a storm. Now, everywhere I go, between me and my peace, there's this storm, this unhappiness. My peace still exists, but everywhere I look, there's unhappiness. So if you ask me, Pat, how are you? Wait a minute, let me look. Oh, I'm unhappy. My peace didn't change, my peace has been established. But this thunderstorm changes what I see. And what you see will change how you feel. How you feel will determine your decisions. You guys, I'm telling you, God's giving me some stuff. We're going to get into some deep stuff later. Thank you, uh, thunderstorm of unhappiness. (laughs) There's something in your way from your peace. There's something in way from your joy. It's unhappiness. And that's just a... That's an up-to-date terminology. We're going to get to a more meaningful word. But most people, if you start talking peace and joy and all this stuff, they kind of tune you out because you're talking Jesus' words and stuff. So the reason I use happiness is because the average everyday person knows what you mean by you say, I'm happy or I'm sad. I'm either happy or I'm unhappy. Um, Unhappiness tries to convince you that that's all there is in your life. Why? Because the feeling don't go away. 
There's times when I've gone to bed with a sense of heaviness, and I wake up the next day, it's still stinking there. I got to go to the same place. I got to go talk to the same person. I got to do the same thing. And how will today be any different than yesterday? And there's an unhappiness. There's something between me and what's been spoken over me. It's very important that we begin to understand this. All I, all I see, if all you can see is darkness, it doesn't change the fact that God said, let there be light. Because when God says something, it's established forever. But all I can see is darkness, Pastor Pat. That does not change the fact that there is light. But, but I feel lost. I don't know what I'm doing. But my Bible says that my steps are ordered. My steps are still ordered even when I feel lost. But but listen, you don't know there's unhappiness in my life. And the reason is because I'm afraid. But the Bible says, fear is not from God. You don't understand. My problem is, my problem, you owned it. You owned it. Quit owning. My problem is loneliness. But yet, the Bible says in the Old and the New Testament, I will never leave you or forsake you. So that's been established Your experience can be different from what's been established because there's a storm front between you and what's been spoken over you. It it doesn't seem like it's even available to you. Have you ever wondered, God, are you even there? Do you even care what I'm going through? Well, yeah. This is the bottom line. we got to learn to minimize our reaction to our emotions. If you don't, Minimize your reactions to your emotions. You're toast, guys. I'm just learning this stuff. So maybe you're not as excited about it. Maybe you're okay with the way you think. Maybe you're okay with the way you feel. I'm not. I want to be more like Jesus. Jesus never once freaked out. Jesus never once had insomnia. Jesus never once had anxiety. But the Bible says that I can have the mind of Christ. So what's this junk that I feel? What's this stuff that I'm thinking? Well, that's my carnality. That's my old self. And you better learn to minimize your reactions to your emotions. Never ask your emotions how you feel before you make a decision. The most dangerous thing you can do is say, I feel this, therefore I will do this. I know people that have left the will of God because they weren't feeling up to it at that moment. And that means little decisions or life-changing decisions. Don't ever ask your feelings how they feel before you make a decision. Um, You know, happiness can never be in something that you see. It can never be in something that you get. I know people that have searched for happiness their whole life. The problem thing, the problem with it is, you're never going to find happiness in a person. You can find Mr. Right. That's not going to make you happy. You can be given a brand new car. It ain't going to make you happy. You could be given, you could be making the most money in Wayne County. It's not going to make you happy. In fact, normally what those things do is make you more of what you already are. So if you're a jerk, you're going to be a big jerk. 
Because now you're a spoiled jerk. Um, happiness is never something you can see. It's never something you can touch. Happiness has to come from inside of you. Anything else that you pursue, you, you know, in the papers that were drafted in Washington that said the pursuit of happiness, it doesn't exist. I understand what they're trying to get at, but there's no such thing as catching happiness. You, you can pursue it your whole life and, and die empty. I know people that done it. If I can just get a nicer car, get a nicer car. What do I do now? I get a bigger house. You got a bigger house. Now what? I need more money. You got more money. Now what? You're always chasing something because happiness is something that comes from the inside. More specifically, let's get off this word happy. Let's get more biblical with it. We need to find something that's more powerful than happiness. First off, let me define happiness. Happiness is good fortune, pleasure, and contentment. Now, if the only time you enjoy life is when you feel good fortune, if the only time you enjoy life is when you feel pleasure, if the only time you enjoy life is when you feel content, then a lot of our lives are going to be unhappy, y'all. So we have to look at something more powerful than that. We've got to look at joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Joy is not dependent upon your circumstance. I've read books, pieces of books of people that have gone through uh, the Holocaust in, in concentration camps. They were, to say demeaned is the understatement of the world, but they were so treated so badly. But there were a few of them that kept their joy. They kept their peace in the middle of all hell going on. Their families and their friends are dying slow deaths, dying of starvation. And some of them live to tell about how God kept them. Now, did God take them out of that concentration camp? No. He went in there with them. There is a place on the inside of you where you can produce the fruit of the Spirit. And the sad thing is we understand it theoretically, but nobody... Very few people are doing it. We've got to get this stuff off of the pages and get them into this world. We, we, we have to start walking in the gifts and the fruit of the Spirit, guys, because other than that, we're just teaching it. Oh, you're, you're those guys that believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Well, yeah, it's on paper. It don't mean squat to a sinner. It don't mean squat to an to a atheist. It doesn't matter to them. We don't care about what words, what book, what you consider a holy book. They don't care about none of that. They want to see something different in you. And when you're jacked up, shaking your head, you're you're on, on 50 different medicines, you're seeing 20 different counselors, and those things have their place. Don't write me no emails. Those things have their place on very small scales, I believe. But we're the most <laughs> over-counseled, over-drugged generation that this world has ever seen. And I know there's chemical imbalances. I know there's times you need to talk to somebody. Get over it. Now, you can't live like that and think you're going to have John 10.10's verses that said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Because when you look at the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, they're a bunch of gimpin' soldiers. They don't know what's going on. And there's been times, I'm concluding myself, I'm saying us. I'm not saying you, because I'm a far away from having it all together, guys. I have yet to apprehend. <laughs> but God is showing me some stuff that 
Dale, you better start minimizing how you react to stuff. Because one phone call can jack up your whole day. It changes the way you react to your the next person that comes into the room. Do you realize the way you react to something sets the tone? Many times for months on end. You picked up an offense. You got hurt. You got left out. And it changes your whole scope of thinking. Yeah, it sounds like no big deal. No, it's a big deal. It's a big deal because we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And if I was Jesus, I think I would be maybe firing some people. Saying, look, you don't represent me. You, you ain't take off your badge. Quit throwing my name around. Because you a dog. You a worn out, empty, empty, crisis, reactionary, so-called Christian. And we know the blood of Jesus covers you. And I'm not preaching you into hell. Grace is good. We all need it. But I'm saying we've got to step up, guys. Can you imagine? You guys know you've had your kids embarrass you. You know you want to take them to the back room. Saying, boy, you got my last name. Don't be acting like that at school. Can you imagine having millions and millions of people dogging you out, flashing the name of Jesus, and they're broken, and they're broken, and they're broken, and they're okay with being broken. That's my frustration. It's not okay to stay broken. There's going to be times you're going to get hurt, and you need, you need to mend, and you need to come back. There are those times. And, and, and I, we want to be here for you. We've got to be there for each other. I'm talking about those professional victims. I'm talking about those people that never seem to have an appetite to grow. They're kind of, they're kind of cool with their stunted growth. The cool thing about joy, this is so big to me, and I'll tell you why. Why is joy different from happiness? Because happiness is something that happens. Happiness is external. Happiness is my reaction to an event. Joy, the cool thing about joy, you know why I can't jack joy up? Because I don't produce it. I can't jack up what I don't produce. I can't mess it up. These are given to me by the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me. Now, the problem is, most of us don't care for the garden. Most of us don't care for the tree. I can't mess up joy because it's not my product. Happiness, however, happiness is all me. When good things happen, I'm happy. When bad things happen, I'm bad. Um, Galatians 5.22, and, and I've got them listed there. I'll read it to you, though. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, which means affection. Galatians 5.22. It is joy, which is cheerfulness. It is peace. Peace is a great one. I love this. I'm hung up on peace. It's quietness and rest. Man, wouldn't that be cool? Don't you wish we could sell that? We'd all be billionaires, wouldn't we? Sorry, it only comes from the Spirit of God. I don't care how soft your music is, you can't produce it. (laughs) Um, Long-suffering means forbearance. That means putting up with people you want to wring their neck, right? Gentleness. This one kind of threw me. One of the meanings for gentleness is integrity. I always thought of it as sort of parallel to meekness and helping and touching and being easy with people. But it also means integrity, gentleness. There it is. Goodness means upright kindness. Faith means persuaded. You're persuaded of something. The problem is we're only persuaded when God's moving. 
When God heals somebody, He's a healer. Other times, He's just God. Um, meekness means humility. Temperance means self-control. Man, this is where a lot of people drop it, is temperance. Against such there is no law. This is where most of us live. Man, that guy set me off. Man, she really knows how to push my buttons. Man, that bothers me. Man, that enrages me. You know what irritates me? <laughs> you know what really, you know what offends me? Oh, it's on now. That is more of our vocabulary than the fruit of the Spirit. And you think you're selling some stuff. You think people want what you got. You're no different. There has to be a difference. We have to come out from the world and be a separate people, a peculiar people, a holy nation. And it doesn't mean you're better, but it means you serve a better God. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It means you live in His mercy. You live in His grace. So, I'm telling you, this is, this is some important stuff. I don't know. Maybe the delivery is a little dry tonight. But... Um, the way you react to things is going to set up your whole life, guys. I want you to think about the things that send you sailing, the things that set you off. It's not okay. Quit making excuses for it. And don't ever tell somebody, you make me mad. That's a lie from hell. Nobody makes you nothing. You decide how to be. All you bully husbands that think, my wife, if you wouldn't do that, if you'd get this right, I would be better. No, you jacked up inside. Don't blame your wife. Don't take it out on your kids. You kids, if you kids would just do better, I wouldn't get mad and I wouldn't throw things and I wouldn't say those words. Don't blame your kids. That's on the inside of you. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Quit taking it out on people. A little tough love there. That's how I feel. Because I used to hide behind my justifications. And now if I blow and dude, I messed up, I'm sorry, I'm man enough to own it. Quit blaming people for being jacked up. You get up in the morning and you make your decision, you put your big boy britches on and you live your life. Quit blaming people. Well, if only the pastor would preach better. Oh, if only the praise and worship would be better, I'd get into worship. No, it ain't. You lazy, you're not pressing in. Quit blaming. We talked about displacement last week, which means to place blame onto something else. And not own it for yourself. Now listen, no one's going to be spiritual giants impeccably and never have a bad day. But our goal has to be producing the fruit of the Spirit. I'm going to tell you, you're going to get some raised eyebrows if you produce the fruit of the Spirit. People are going to be like, what has happened to you? What is on with you? And by the way, let's talk about it. Remember this, this used to have this thing back when I was growing up, we used to call it witnessing. I don't know if you guys know that or not. But we used to force it down people's throat and beat, beat them with a Bible and tell them he's going to hell. That wasn't very productive. I don't know why. It was so sweet of us. Our heart was right. Our methodology stunk, you know. But do you know that you're read of all men? People are reading you. And you know what? They don't remember when you behave yourself. They remember when you get all sideways, don't they? They remember when you blow that stack. And, and that's going to happen. You're human. You're going to lose yourself. But a lot of people don't lose their mind. Most of us are lost in our minds because our minds control us. We're not, 
being controlled by the Spirit. The Bible says that if you're led by the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So that tells me, as a pastor in the know, that a lot of us are not really being led by the Spirit. We are theoretically. We love the ideology behind it. But if we're being led, that means He's in front telling us where to go. And when I'm being sideways... God's not in front of me telling me which way to go. That's me and my carnality having a fit. And when you wake up in the morning, I'm going to tell you, before life hits you, you better say, I crucify this flesh. I don't care how long I've had this addiction. I don't care how long I've had this habit. It is not okay. It's time for you to grow up. Now, where sin does abound, grace much more abounds. I don't want to condemn you. But you better learn to overcome some stuff because I can't. Do you know God Almighty can set you free, but it's up to you to walk in your freedom? Well, I thought I got set free. You probably did. You just picked it back up because you were afraid to sacrifice and crucify the flesh. Man, please don't mean... I'm I'm trying not to have a mean streak. But I've had this conversation with me before I got it on you. I'm like, Dale, come on, man. You say you're going to be this man of God, but look at you. You just made an idiot of yourself. You say you're going to do this, but how many hours did you spend with God this week? You say you want this, but how many... Always look at yourself, because whether you do or not, people are. You know, the Bible tells us not to judge. It doesn't tell the heathen. They don't have to. They will. They're good at it. And they know a con job when they smell you. And they know what's real and what's fake the problem is is not your intention i believe everyone mostly that come to church have a desire to serve god their hearts right but their reactions are horrible but that's the way i've always thought pastor pat it's time to change i'll save that for next week i've got i've got a the way things happen and, and I'll save it because I, I, I want to make sure I do it right. Um, so at this point, I want to open it up to you guys to talk. Um, and I don't, you know, you don't have to share your junk or nothing, but um, there has to be something different, or I don't want what you got. I am a Christian, and I want to be able to look at Christians and say, "Man, they're walking deeper than me." I've got to inspire to get there. I want somebody that walks in in the fruit of the Spirit. I want somebody that walks in so much stinking love. I want to see somebody that walks in joy, that nothing can shake them up. I want to see somebody that knows about peace, that can share it with me. And not just in ideology. Not just in your theology. Write your papers. Give me your theories. Show me. Show me something, guys. And that's got to be the cry of the sinner, sinning world that's lost and without Jesus. Where are you? What are you doing? How are you different? And until that, we will not walk in peace. And I'm going to tell you, if you don't produce these fruit of the Spirit, you, my friend, are running on empty and you have nothing to share except your struggles. And I'm sick and this world is sick and everybody's tired of playing their little violin about your victim mentality. I want to see some victory. We were not called... 
to walk around bleeding out everywhere. We're called to be more than conquerors. Well, heck, I would like to be a conqueror, not more than one. Let me get to phase one. Let me conquer. I want to see somebody walk out of a, a messy, dramatic thing and say, man, you know, there was all kinds of a minefield around me, but in the middle of it all, I found my peace. In the middle of it, when it didn't make any sense, I had peace that passes all that understanding. Hey, that's that Bible verse. The Holy Spirit can give you stuff that you'll never be able to manufacture. Not because you have a will, but because you submit your will. You can't produce those things because you decide to. Sorry. It takes a perfect God with the Holy Spirit to do that. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Bethesda Worship Center. For more information on BWC, check us out on the web at BethesdaWorshipCenter.com. You might also choose to join us either for Sunday service or Wednesday evening Bible study.